Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Van Maren Show. Today, we're going to be talking to Marjorie Dannenfelser, who spent election night at the White House. That's coming right up. everyone and welcome back to the Van Maren Show. My name is Jonathan Van Maren and today we're going to be talking to somebody we talked to a few weeks ago uh, as well. Marjorie Dannenfelser is the president of the Susan B. Anthony List, America's most powerful and influential pro-life organization. We interviewed her last time about her phenomenal book, Life is Winning, which details essentially how uh, the pro-life movement took over the Republican Party. And the SBA list and its super PAC, Women Speak Out, have reached more than 4.6 million voters over the last three election cycles. And the SBA list has been incredibly involved in this election cycle as well. So Marjorie was kind enough uh, in all of the craziness that is this ongoing election uh, to take a bit of time to join us and talk about what this election meant, uh, what she saw at the White House, and what the way forward for the pro-life movement is. And there's a lot of really good news there. So I do hope you take the time to listen to this conversation. All right, let's start off with where were you on election night watching the results come in? I was at the White House. Um, It was quite a crowd talking to um, all kinds of people that we know and love and went through this election with together. It was it was quite a heady night. What was the mood in the room like uh, during the evening? <laughs> you know, it was it was um, a lot of these folks. You know that um, we've gone through four years together of working on policy. Um, we were all feeling optimistic because we saw such great results coming. So I spent a lot of time sitting with um, Mercy Schlapp and Sarah Huckabee and. Um, Kellyanne and then you know kind of a lot of the people that probably on the show all the time but it was just kind of a come home time and um, we were optimistic and hoping that um, you know that we would continue to get good results there's also the guy from journey who's the who's the husband of um, this is really fun actually um, who's the husband of uh, Paula White playing journey songs like completely out of the blue it was really funny (laughs) that's incredibly random (laughs) <laughs> it was totally random and it's all of a sudden everyone was completely starstruck by you know this uh this this incredible star and everybody's singing songs and trying to bide the time because we were there many 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 hours um just kind of waiting when did the mood start to turn well i think um w- when we all gathered in the um in the area to listen to the president and the vice president that's when the mood was pretty turning sour because that was about mm, two in the morning, I guess, or one thirty-two, And we stood there like he was coming over, coming over. Um, and it was taking a long time. The longer the way, the, the, the more downcast the mood felt. And um, by the time he was speaking, um, things were looking pretty grim. So uh, just in terms of the in terms of the presidential election, uh, where in your view do things stand now? There's there's a lot of recounts ongoing. Um, there are specific individual instances of fraud that are being tried in the courts. Um, it doesn't seem likely that the, that the margins will be big enough to put Trump over the top. Um, a lot of us, I'm sure you too, aren't getting a ton of sleep because yeah. things seem. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I mean, everything seems on the margins. I, I mean, look, I every day we do a new analysis and we think that, <clears throat> you know, there's a percentage chance that with a recount of votes or dis, uh, exclusion of votes or addition of Trump votes that, you know, possibly we could pull it out. But I still think the percentages are relatively low. But what I'm really interested in, what we all should be interested in, is making sure that the vote is authentic as it actually can be, as close to the literal reality as it can possibly be. And if it takes hand recounts, we do hand recounts. I'm most concerned about winning. I'm, I'm also most concerned about um, as we move into the very near future, meaning right now in Georgia with a recount going on soon, that, that voters feel that their, their vote will actually be counted. Now, this is interesting because I talked to you a few weeks ago when I when I reviewed your book, Life is Winning, uh, about what your 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 primary concerns for the election were. And and, and there is one really interesting thing here, which is that most people, um, yourself included, were were pretty terrified that the Senate was going to be lost as well. Um, And like the expansion in Congress is, is also unbelievable. So. When when we take out take take the ongoing presidential race out of the the equation for a minute, and we just look at the potential of holding on to the Senate, which is which is fairly good, and the expansion in the House, what we are seeing is the blue wave <clears throat> that never arrived. Uh, there was no repudiation of, of Trumpism. There's a lot of evidence that a, a realignment and a new coalition of of socially conservative working class people, uh, you know, of, of all races and backgrounds, could be cobbled together, leaving the Democrats as the party of big business, uh, you know, the professional class and the woke. So when you're looking at that as a long-term pro-life political strategist, what sort of opportunities do you see? Are you feeling encouraged or or are you still just feeling too stressed because of Georgia? <laughs> no, despite the lack of sleep, you're right that the wave turned out to be a ripple at the shore. And um, and that should reassure everyone, all you beautifully express, all the things that you said about the the working man, the people of every demographic, whether you are uh, black, Hispanic, white, uh, male, female, people of goodwill um, are are attracted by the same issues that they were before when Trump won the first time. Um, and, and they didn't go away. They were just quiet in the polling. And we should be reassured that the goodness of America um, and, and just, I don't know another way of putting it other than what I seem to hear so many um, days of the week from regular people in the regular world is that regular people still have a voice in this country and have a very powerful voice. And they delivered some incredible messages on election night. One among them, because it's very close to the Susan B. Anthony list heart, is how we are closing the margin in the House of Representatives. We actually had eight women who, um, who, flipped seats um, from Republican, from Democrat to Republican compared to two men who I love as well. I'm just saying that the women's role in taking back the House, pro-life women, is really strong. And it represents a change in the nation, I think, in terms of who is acceptable and um, in the feminist world of, uh, of politics. That, that whole thing is changing. I also think um, one really important thing, far more important than anything I've just said, is that politics now, I believe, unless we really royal, royally mess it up, um, is unlikely in the Republican Party to go back to the time of Bush-Cheney. Um, mm-hmm. 
and that we have a permanent change um, that we'll call, we won't call it Trump Republicanism in the future. We'll just call it the Republican Party right. that is closer to the will of regular mm-hmm. people. Well, and this is interesting. So actually, before I get into <clears throat> more of the uh, conceptual opportunities for the pro-life movement, I want to ensure that you have the opportunity to brag more thoroughly about what the SBA list pulled off, because <clears throat> I noticed a lot of headlines and, and CNN and elsewhere talking about the number of, uh, of women elected to, uh, uh, to the Congress. And I, and I also noted that you would have to go to SBA list page to, to realize these were pro-life Republican women. Uh, who were elected. If, if this was the squad, right, we'd be hearing about it nonstop. So looking at the night, just from the perspective of what the SBA list achieved, what, what should the pro-life movement be really encouraged by coming out of this election? Yes, I think the pro-life woman wave in the House is huge. I mean, I think that would be, uh, and now so much more will be focused on the House because we now have a shot to take it back uh, in short uh, in short order. Um, so that's a great hope, and we're very proud of, uh, there are quite a number of women that we went all in on, um, and then a lot of women, won that we endorsed that we frankly weren't not, were not sure if they were going to make it, and they did. And there's still more to come. There's still three races that we haven't heard about yet. Um, and so in the Senate, um, the backstop for every bad thing that a bad president could do, of course, is a, fo- a, a, a point of great <laughs> celebration because we did not, of course, receive the shellacking, the loss of six or seven Senate seats in a year where we're on play, when we're playing defense and everyone was predicting again that the president was going to lose. And, the, and the, so the Senate races that we were involved in, uh, Tom Tillis, we just found out yesterday, of course, was finally called. Um, you know, we have this um, army on the ground in, um, pre- in, in the presidential and senatorial uh, battlegrounds where we literally go door to door taking this case to everyone in a COVID safe way. Just I always have to add that for people who get outraged. But and, and so those conversations with real people, with real pro-life convictions, swayed the persuadable voters and really crucial Senate seats so that we could, uh, including the, all the people who were actually at, at the helm and at bat for Amy Coney Barrett. So McConnell, you know, they thought it was so close. No, we got it. Um, Lindsey Graham, we got it. Joni Ernst, we got that. Tom Tillis, we got that. Um, so, you know, so many seats in modern America, Senate, House, and, the, and electoral votes in the, for the presidency are won by a handful of people in a handful of states. And, uh, and pro-life people are really closing that margin. And we see the data every election cycle that we have done that. And I expect that we'll see that data coming again soon. So I interviewed uh, Dr. Robert P. George earlier this week uh, on his conclusion about the 2020 election. And for him, he said, you know, 2016, nobody knew if that was a fluke because Trump is Trump and he's a celebrity and he's sort of like a barnstorming, you know, rally campaigner. So nobody knew if he was a one-off blip on the American uh, scene or if his presidency actually indicated the potential of a realignment. But he said, well, and we've known this in the pro-life movement for years. I, I know you've brought this up. Um, I noticed this at Obama's inauguration, doing a you know a pro-life outreach with Mark Harrington of Created Equal, that half the people that walked by our signs, you know, with uh, you know chest plate sized Obama buttons, were really supportive of our pro-life work, despite the fact that they were there to celebrate him. Um, That's cool. 
Yeah, so Robert P. George basically said, look, we now know that these these enormous number of African-American and Hispanic voters who hold pro-life views or at a bare minimum are virulently opposed to the drag queen story time, gender ideology, boutique social issues that the Democrats have made so central to their platforms. And that it's essential that we start recruiting minority candidates, teaching them how to talk about social conservative issues, and then ensuring that they get elected on a populist message. Now, in your book, Life is Winning, you talk about how you train candidates to talk about these things, especially after uh, the Todd Aiken uh, PR disaster. So, And I know that uh, some of the, the people that you just referred to that got elected fall into the category that Robert P. George described. So how does the SBA list look at the opportunity provided by the 2020 election going forward? Yeah, I think um, all the lessons, um, and I, I especially love your your anecdotal um, evidence of, of pro-life Obama supporters, even ones coming at to, to that. I think that's that's the lesson that we're learning. We find that a third of Democrats are pro-life, but they haven't found voice in their party um, across all demographics, um, not just you know white men is what everybody assumes. Among women, among men, among Hispanics, among blacks. Um, and, it, and also where they live doesn't, doesn't uh, communicate how they, what they believe. Because mm. if we really believe this, we, sh- we should act like we believe it and take that directly to people and don't avoid uh, um, groups of people because you think they're disinclined because they have a historical al- allegiance with another party or, 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 another, or have been co-opted by another cause. I think a great example is the, is the Women's March right after, the, right after Trump was inaugurated. Most of those women in that group were just angry. They were cons- they didn't like Trump because of his personality, but they- it was not a a huge pro-choice um, statement. It was a it was a anger statement. When if you polled the women in that women's march, they would not have been overwhelmingly pro-choice. I I, I just I know that, and I saw that anecdotally there as well. Um, so and then also <clears throat> we st- we saw that the Democrats were burying the issue the entire election. They did at their at their convention, and we highlighted ours. We we were proud and bold with it. We took it directly to the voters. The president brought it up multiple times, and 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 especially in rallies where real people gathered in the in the hundreds of thousands. So I think we have everything. We are on a pro life surge, and if the Democrats could get it together, they would see that they need to soft pedal this. I don't think that they will, but. Um, it's a thoroughgoing pro-life Republican Party right now, and we're going to take back the House. I think we're going to be. Uh, I think we're going to hold the Senate. That we got a lot of work to do in Georgia, and uh, and around the corner we'll see cases coming to the court. That I think we'll see that states will soon be allowed to pass laws that reflect the will of their people, regular people. When you say it's a thoroughgoing Republican Party, um, that's really interesting because, and this is uh, to refer back to your book again, one of the things I enjoyed about your book the most was it helped me understand the enthusiasm of longtime political insiders uh, who had always been outsiders when it came to Republican administrations, but have an open door with Trump on pro-life policy. And uh, when I was in, when I, when I was in, I was in DC last, just before COVID, I was actually, um, staying with, uh, with, um, Andy Moore, who works for the SBA list. And I, I, uh, I met with a few pro-life congressmen and one of the, one of the, one of the guys we met with briefly was Dan Crenshaw. Um, 
And we asked him a bit because he's very vocal on the pro-life issue. And we actually asked him um, why he was so vocal on social media about that issue. And he said, a lot of my northern colleagues need to realize that the pro-life issue is a winning issue for Republicans. And the moment they realize that, the more they'll be free to campaign on this issue, which I thought was was really, really fascinating. So how have you how have you really inculcated this? Because this is quite new. This is two or three years uh, of the GOP, not just, you know, the pro-life movement as one faction of our party, but as you said, a thoroughgoing Republican party. Like it's, an, it's obvious even to somebody like myself who's not on the inside like you that that has taken place. Yeah, it, it has taken place. And, and you're right that it's so new that the muscle is still getting strengthened and the voice is still getting more refined. Um, it's new because we really only just, I mean, I think we can date it since 2014. And that's not that long ago when, when we had the capacity and the scale to be able to insert the pro-life issue in the middle of a campaign so that the, there was a statewide effort, uh, highlighting a really popular pro-life issue like the like the five-month um, pain-capable bill such a such a modest idea that you would not abort after um, after five months when so many beautiful things are going on with the development of a child so inserting that at the middle of the campaign when this when the candidate him or herself also communicates it so it's very hard to do unless voters can actually make the connect between what they're hearing at their front door and what they're hearing from the from the um, candidate's voice from their and in their own voice. And so when that happened in 2014, and then again in 2016, um, there was a there was a uh, a bright light that uh, popped on over the heads of so many candidates who didn't realize the power of the pro-life movement to help close the winning vote margins for them. And they have become our greatest spokespeople. Dan Crenshaw is definitely in that group without question. But then also um, starting in 2014, it was, it was Senator Tom Cotton, Senator Bill Cassidy, Tom Tillis, who is always rather soft-spoken, but always really cared a lot. It just kind of helped bring out all their voices. They, they defeated Democrats who were trying to bury, bury the issue. Um, and, uh, and, they, and the Democrats were burying it because they knew it was unpopular. So doing this over and over again is just a public witness as to um, uh, what can be done when you believe it. And you, you believe it so much that you're willing to speak to it, and then you win, and you learn that, that doing the right thing is also the politically smart thing to do. So I'm very interested uh, in what Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri has been saying lately. I heard him speak at the National Conservatism Conference last summer uh, in D.C., where there was a lot of, uh, of conservative thinkers and a few politicians like Hawley kind of discussing the different ways that we could actually use economic populism to address longstanding conservative issues. And one of the things that I, I enjoyed the most, and I've had a lot of interviews on this subject on this program, is looking at the success other countries have had at reducing the abortion rate, at a spend, uh, essentially applying this, these pincer tactics, pushing at the abortion uh, rate with restrictions down and then from the grassroots up with, with programs specifically designed to reduce the abortion rate. So you've got Hungary that's reduced its 
its abortion rate astronomically in only five years. You've got Israel that's reduced their abortion rate by 51% in just over two decades. You've got Germany, uh, who has an abortion rate that's a third of that of Canada and the United States. You've got the Netherlands, where the pro-life groups are very successfully targeting um, the economic circumstances that lead women to abortions, but self-admittedly lead women to abortions, not just some generic welfare program. So looking forward at the potential for an economically populist and socially conservative party, what is your view on policies like this, like I am instinctively fiscally conservative, as, a, as 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 you probably are as well. But I, quite frankly, looking at the success in these other countries and and the potential for new realignments, would happily offload a lot of those old dogmas in favor of a rock bottom abortion rate and the opportunity to build a sustainable social conservative coalition. Yeah, it's, and and it's because you have so, have such a beautiful heart, and I think that is is definitely the trend but not always the case among our candidates who who see that life of course is the first right without it you can have no other including economic rights i think that what's what we're we're doing on a really granular level is looking at what is needed on the on the day-to-day community level um in women's lives who who find themselves pregnant for whatever reason and they really just need help. And a lot of what is happening is that there are already services that are well-funded, they're out there, they're available, they just are not aware of them, either private or public, church or, or, or um, non-sectarian. Um, and so the granular work, the really muscular work that we're doing mm-hmm. uh, in Georgia is to, is to find all of those um, sometimes hidden services uh, so that um, there is a base, literally a map of the state. Um, no matter where you live, um, this, is, this is what can be at your service. Now, sometimes after doing that audit, we're going to find that there are gaps. And when we find gaps, I think we do what you just described. Um, we make sure that there's funding available in a rural area uh, to fund some already fantastic service that is not uh, reaching enough people um, or or perhaps begin one. I mean, because of course it depends on what we're, what we're talking about. I think the first step is the assessment. My hunch is that more states are like Georgia where we've begun and that, and that, um, and that we'll be able to connect those services to women in ways that have, has, has never been done. And then you're right. You combine that with laws that limit um, and you do start looking at an abortion rate that is reflective of what we want America to be. What we want, pro, we want a pro-life America, but no one really knows what that looks like. No one's really, I mean, you, you could think back to pre-1973, but that isn't even a model because we're living in a totally different world. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So we have a lot of work to do, but with so much momentum and so many, so much great talent. You know, and you mentioned Josh Hawley, who is, I just wanted to say, who is another one of those people who gets all of this and who, who came into the Senate. Um, at, you know, we were very happy to help elect him. Came into the Senate saying, time for Roe v. Wade to be overturned, guys, looking left yep. and right. Like, are you guys pretending like that's not what we're trying to do here? You know, just, he's a hero. Yeah, I like it when our guys say the quiet part out loud. <laughs> me too that's exactly right no more pretending we just yeah. want people to have the power to pass laws that reflect pro-life convictions in their states N- not complicated 
Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Marjorie Dannenfelser of the Susan B. Anthony List. If you enjoyed this conversation and want to hear other conversations that give you a glimpse of what's going on inside the pro-life and pro-family movement, please head on over to lifesitenews.com, click on the podcast tab where you can subscribe to the podcast there. We, you can find our podcast everywhere you get your content. Thanks so much for joining us this week, and we do hope you'll join us again next week.